Good morning, everybody. Morning. How y'all doing today? Good. Good. I am so glad you're here with us today as we continue our series, Everyday Disciples. We're walking through the book of Romans together as we're journeying through the whole scripture, chunk by chunk, chapter by chapter, character by character, theological threads running throughout the Bible. We're seeing them, and we're in the book of Romans right now, and I'm so glad you're here with us. If you brought your Bible, you can open up to Romans chapter 12. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And it is my privilege each and every week to open the Bible with you and to discover God's word and to apply it to our lives together. Even on Time Change Sunday, it is good to be together over God's word in the house of God, correct? You know, and I, by the way, if you're saying you lost an hour of sleep, you didn't do time change right. You need to not let the government, don't let the man control you and say that your clock changes at 2 a.m., you could choose, just write this down. This is just free pastoral teaching. It's not even in my notes. You'll know why in a second. Like, write this down for next year. You're in charge of when your time changes on time change weekend. So, like, if your child has an 8 a.m. soccer game on Saturday morning of time change, it is 100% okay for you to change your clock from 7.58 to 8.58 and they come up and they say, I had a game at 8. And we're saying, I'm sorry, baby, it was time change. Your game just you got eaten up. Or if you were planning on working in the yard, like just, I'm planning on working in the yard from 2 to 3. But I'm going to change my clock at 1.58. So all of a sudden it becomes 2.58. And I, I wanted to work in the yard in that hour, but that hour's gone. I haven't lost an hour of sleep, but I lost an hour of work. And I lost an hour of watching my kid play soccer. Last night, we changed ours at like 7, right? So it became 7 to 8. And there's no lose in that time change at that time of the day. Because it's like, oh, I'm an hour closer to going to sleep. I didn't lose an hour of sleep. I gained an hour of like watching TV. It was awesome. So anyway, that's, that's all for free. And if you said, Mike, you obviously didn't spend an hour working on this humor. You are correct. <laughs> And if you say, Mike, I did lose an hour of sleep last night, and I've got one strategy that's better than every strategy you just gave us for overcoming that loss of sleep, and my one strategy was come to church and allow you to put me to sleep, well, you're in the right place. You're 100% in the right place. Before we jump into today's message, I want to encourage you in your bulletin. We've put some prayer squares in your bulletin, some blank pieces of paper that you can write on, that you say, God, I would like for you to work in this area of my life. As we look ahead towards our revival coming in just two weeks now, March 24th through 26th, we want to pray for very specific needs within our church body. We want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. We want to have a, a way for you to pray with each other and for each other as well. And so on that little prayer square, if you would write, God, here's, here's an area I'd like for you to work in my life. And I want to keep this as personal as possible. We've all got extended prayer requests. We've all got people that we could pray for. But God, very personally, because we're looking for personal revival. We're looking for personal rededication, personal commitment. Lord, in my life, I'm not praying for my aunt's, uncle's, cousin's dog. I'm praying for my life. And so in my life, here's what I would like for you to do. As you are considering what the scriptures say as we walk through Romans together, if you have that prayer need and you just write it down, then at the end of the service, we're going to collect those in the offering. 
so that we can begin to pray for our church family and pray for personal revival in our lives. As we look forward to revival, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to look forward to a day when you will revive and recharge and call us to commit fully one more time. And so God, as we prepare for those days, Lord, show us where you might want to work in us. Show us where you might want to spur commitment or faith or dependence upon you. Show us where you might want to spur obedience. Show us where you might want to, 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 to reveal yourself as the provider of our life. God, I pray that as we are honest before you, that you would meet our needs. And God, I pray now that as we open your word, that you would help us to learn how to grow every day as a disciple of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. As we are in the second half of the book of Romans, we are looking at the very practical implications of saying that Jesus is our Savior. We learned in the early chapters of Romans that Jesus completely saved us. He saved us from our past, he saves us in the present, and he will save us in the future. And because of who we are in Christ, because of that reality, he calls us and he says, will you live every day for me? Will you offer yourselves as a living sacrifice for me in view of my total salvation, past, present, and future? Will you offer yourselves to me as a living sacrifice? Last week, we looked and said that God wants to change our lives every day. That he wants to work in us so that we can worship him as we live, so that we can test our decisions according to his perfect will for our lives. Today, I want to look at the fact that every day matters when it comes to our sacrifice to God. Every day matters as you sacrifice your life to live for God. Every day at work matters. Every day at home matters. Every day in the community matters. Every day in the church matters as we offer our lives to God as a sacrifice. In fact, today, I would hope that you could discover something that you can give up today so that you will honor God more tomorrow. That there's something you can stop doing today that'll help you love God tomorrow. Something that you can quit today so that you will keep walking with God through all of your life. That's my goal for today. And as you think about that everyday sacrifice, something's going to happen today that's going to help me love God tomorrow. I bring you the story of the chicken and the pig. It's the old story of the chicken and the pig who say, you know, our farmer has taken such good care of us. Why don't we take care of him this morning? The chicken says to the pig. The chicken says to the pig, why don't we prepare a first-class breakfast for our farmer? He feeds us every day. He protects us from the weather. Why don't we provide for him a first-class meal? Let's give our farmer, the chicken says to the pig, let's give our farmer a breakfast of bacon and eggs. The pig looks back at the chicken and he says, I've got one problem with that. For you, it's a sacrifice. For me, the bacon, it's a total commitment. As you think about your life before God, does he want you to be like the pork-bellied pig or like the egg-producing chicken? Does God want us to see our lives as a one-time event where we die 
as a sacrifice? Or does he want us to see our lives as an everyday sacrifice in response to his goodness? Does God want you to be Porky the pig? Or does God want you to be that hen that produces over and over and over again for the Lord? Let me tell you, as we talk about becoming an everyday disciple, it's not just a one day dying to yourself. That's kind of piggish Christianity. But it's an everyday sacrifice that God calls us to. And as we see the everyday sacrifice, we turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 13. Listen to this. The Bible says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So Mike, you begin talking about bacon and eggs. And then you say, God wants us to be living sacrifices. And one of the ways that God wants us to sacrifice, you said, let's read it together in the Bible. And then the first words you read, love must be sincere. So Mike, you've got a really romantic view of love, don't you? This love is sacrificial. This love means I give something up for someone else's benefit. Mike, I don't see love as a sacrifice like you see love. Well, that's why we're talking about sincere love today. Because sincere love isn't simply based in our emotions and feelings and desires and wants. Sincere love is based on our choice. And we learn that since our love is a choice, one of the choices a disciple makes is to love sincerely. And that requires sacrifice. Listen to the four qualities of sincere love that we see in Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13. First, sincere love is pure. You hate what is evil and you cling to what is good. Sincere love, if you are sincerely in love with someone, they will never ask you or demand of you to do things that are evil or inappropriate. Because sincere love is pure. There's no way around it. Second, sincere love is devoted. And I love it when the Bible is so clear that even I can get it. It says that sincere love is devoted. You honor and put others above yourself. If you want to live in a sincere, sincere, loving relationship with others, you will be doing what's best for them because that's best for you. When you sincerely love someone, you will gladly lay your life down for them to honor and to put others above yourself. The next thing we learn about sincere love is that it's active. I love the word that Paul uses here, zealous. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, it's crystal clear here from this passage that we are to love God and love people and be passionate about both. And as you think about your sincere love for people in your life, whether that's a spouse or a boyfriend or whether that's a child or a coworker, or whether that's an extended family member, you gotta know that we should be zealous in our love for each other, active in our love for each other. An active love notices a need and does something about it. 
An active love sees where a spouse is hurting and takes action to help that hurt. An active love sees a child where they need leadership and provides that leadership for the child. An active love looks and says, because I love you sincerely, I will be zealous in my love for you. Like I'm serving the Lord. In fact, husbands to wives, you're commanded to love your wife like Christ loves the church. And so when we willingly lay our lives down for our brides, we do it like we're serving Jesus because we are as we love our brides. And then the last, sincere love is committed. It's joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Sincere love goes the distance. And sincere love means that we will sacrifice so that our love is marked with joy and patience and faithfulness because we are loving others like God loves us. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 is another section of scripture that talks about sincere love. Listen to it here and see the overlap. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It's pure. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Sincere love honors others above ourselves. When we have a chance to be dishonoring, we choose to honor. When we have a chance to be self-seeking, we choose to put ourselves below the other. When we have a chance to be easily angered and to remember all the wrongs, we say, no, I'm going to honor others above myself. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It is active. Love is joyful. It rejoices with the truth. And then lastly, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Because sincere love is committed. I will use this verse at weddings many times. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And I use that verse and I, I say the word always like that every time. Always. Because I want them to know that always love works. When young couples are committing themselves to each other, they don't know all the ways that love will protect, trust, and hope, and persevere. They don't know all the ways that love will do that for them. But friends, if you've been walking in life through any period of time, you know that our hope is in the sincere love that God has for us. When I think about love, I know there's a challenge for some of us to both hear that we're loved and to show that we're loved. But as we plant here for just a moment, I need you to know that God has shown his love for you in an undeniable, unquestionable way. God demonstrates his love for us, Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You may not have been loved perfectly by any other human on the planet, but Jesus has loved you perfectly. And he shows his love for you. And he tells you that he loves you as he invites you to believe in him and to follow him with all your life. He said, not only will I show you that you're loved, but I will tell you that you're loved. Come do life with me. 
growing up in my house, my family didn't really speak of love. I can't remember a time that my dad said, I love you. But I can tell you many times when my dad would show me his love for me by providing for our family, by having fun and spending time with me, by disciplining me again and again and again and again and again. That guy loved me a lot. He didn't tell me, but he showed me. If you were raised in a house like that, I need you to know that your God both shows love and speaks love for his kids in the whole world. As a dad now, I, I tell my kids, I love you. I tell my kids, like, all the time, I love you. And, Lord willing, on my best days, I'm able to show them that love as well. Because that is a sincere love. And as we continue reading in Romans chapter 12, we're instructed on how we can give up some things today that will help us love others sincerely tomorrow. That show us what sincere love looks like. So we're going to get very practical here for the next few minutes. As we look at Romans 12 verse 14, the first thing we learn, that sincere love is a blessing, not a curse. And you can fill in that blank. Sincere love is a blessing, not a curse. It, we bless, not curse other people. Listen to what the Bible says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So what Paul is telling the church and what we read from this passage is that even those that intentionally hurt us, even those who intentionally seek to harm us because we're walking with Jesus, those who persecute us, even those that try and hurt us, we bless them and not curse them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse which tells me that sincere love is not just a response to what happens to us, but sincere love is a choice because of what's happened in us. Because God has demonstrated and God continues to tell of his love for us, we can choose to love people in such a way that we bless and not curse. Because it is our job to choose to sincerely love others. When I think of blessing, not cursing, I think of words. And the simple question, are my words building others up as a blessing? Or are my, other, my words tearing others down like a curse? Are my words a benefit or are my words a problem to the lives of others? In my family, we had to set up some rules so that dad's words, my words, would be a blessing and not a curse to my kids. When Nick was in eighth grade, we made this rule. And my son is highly intelligent. My son excels at school. My son is an amazing follower of Christ today. But in eighth grade, I didn't treat him like that. In eighth grade, when he would get in the car after school, one of the first things I would ask him is, hey, did you turn in that late homework? He was number 11 in his class, and I'm worried about a late assignment. And, and then I'd say, hey, you got a test today. How'd you do on that test? Did your studying produce what you needed it to produce? And so I would go down this list of things as soon as he got in the car. And he would get in the car all excited. But by the time I got done talking to him, he was like, in, like he was hiding for cover. 
And so we eventually made a rule. Dad, you can't ask me how my work at school went, how my grades at school are, until we pull into the drive, until we pull into the driveway at home. I need seven minutes with my dad before you start talking about whether or not I've pleased you enough at school today. That's what I heard. And that's what I started to do. Because I'm not here to judge my kids. I'm here to lead my kids because God is their judge. I'm not here to curse them with my words. I'm here to bless them with my words. And I can't tell you how that changed our relationship. I mean, we would get, he would get in the car, then we'd talk about his day, how his friends were doing, how he was playing in music, what was he excited about, what were difficulties. I will be honest. As soon as I put the turn indicator on to turn into my driveway, like, we got to talking about business. But do people around you see your words to them as a blessing or a curse? Are you there to judge or are you there to lead and to love? Paul says, bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Paul also says that if we're going to have sincere love for each other, we will rejoice and mourn. Which means we're going to walk with people through the good seasons and the bad. We're going to do life with people in such a way that we get stretched and challenged. Listen to what the Bible says. Romans 12 verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Walking and doing life at this level stretches all of us. It is very easy to be with someone and to love them sincerely on their best day. But we're told here that we are going to be with people and love them sincerely even on their worst day. This is a stretching experience for us. About 15 years ago, it was a typical cold day in Washington. And my friend Todd and I, he was my best friend at the time. My friend Todd and I were going to go to lunch together, and so we jumped in the Mazda Protégé. That was my car. And as we were driving, Todd saw my chapstick laying in the console. Chapstick was like a prime commodity in the middle of winter in Washington. Cold, dry air, blowing wind and snow. And so my chapstick was like a prized possession. So I'm driving, we're going to Chipotle. I'm driving, and I see Todd, out of the peripheral vision, grab my chapstick, take the cap off, roll it out. Looked like he rolled it out about three inches. And then he puckered up, put it on, rolled it back in, put the cap back on, and threw it in the console. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And I told him, I said, you may as well keep that. I'm never touching it again. (laughs) Two days later, I show up at my office, and there's a pack of chapstick that says, to my friend Mike from Todd. Now, the point of this story isn't that you need to share chapstick with your friends, because that is nasty. (laughs) The point of the story is that we're going to do life and love each other sincerely, and it will stretch us, and we'll hit our limits, and we'll figure out how to continue on in relationship on the good days and in the bad. Because when you sincerely love people, you are doing life with them. Is your commitment to people that you say you love, would you say that your commitment is long-term or short-term? Would you say that the people you love 
whether or not they're having a good day or a bad day, your commitment to them is long-term. Because what the Bible says here, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. What the Bible is saying here is that if you're going to party with someone, you better be willing to pray with them when they're hurting. If you celebrate with someone, you better be willing to sit with them when they have a need. If you're there on a good day, you better be there even on the worst days. And this requires sacrifice. Because good days are far easier than bad days. But sincere love is lived on both those days. This fall when my mom passed away, I was able to see a picture of sincere love. My sister lives three hours from Dallas. She's a hospice nurse. My brother travels five days a week, flying all over the country. And of course, I live six hours from where mom lived. So my sister-in-law, Vonda, provided the day-to-day care for mom. She could be there six times in a single day to check on her and to care for her and to provide for her. It was her natural rhythm that she was in with my mom. And in the last days when it was clear that my mom would, would die, Vonda's friends got really concerned about her because the woman that she had cared for for almost a decade would soon be gone. And these are friends that I'd seen over the years at family celebrations with Vonda. These are friends that I'd seen in Facebook posts when they'd vacationed together. These are friends, their kids grew up together. And you know what they did for my sister-in-law when my mom died? They surrounded her. They celebrated with her and then they mourned with her. They were in the room with us well past midnight and back up at it 7.30 in the morning. When mom passed and word spread among their circle of friends, Vonda's best friend Gina even came and sat with us at 3.30 in the morning until she knew her friend was okay. The day of the funeral, her friends took care of every detail. Vonda's typically like the, the, the best like hospitality, like she's the best hostess. She can throw a party like nobody else. And her friends took care of every detail so that this party was Vonda quality without Vonda touching one thing. They showed sincere love for her. And I'm forever grateful for them and forever grateful for the love, the sincere love that Vonda showed for my mom. You think it was a sacrifice to love your mother-in-law like she loved my mom? (laughs) Absolutely it was. But she would tell you it's worth it. And she would tell you, I will do it again and again and again and again to show my love for my family. Because sincere love rejoices and mourns. Third, sincere love chooses harmony above pride. Sincere love chooses harmony above pride. Very clearly, we're going to be pushed in Romans 12, verse 16, to seek harmony. Romans 12, verse 16, here's what the Bible says. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So what Paul says here is you're going to seek to live a life not where you are putting yourselves above others. Let's get real practical about what it means to honor others above yourself. He says you're not going to be proud and you're not going to be conceited. You're not going to treat people differently based on their rank or status. 
Even if someone's considered to be in a low position, you will associate with them because you sincerely love all people. Seek harmony. As I read this verse, one of the things that pops out to me is the level of pride in your life will determine the intimacy you experience in your relationships. If we live a life where we are conceited, if we live a life where we are proud, we will never share the real us. And we will never be the person that people around us need us to be. If your attitude is, I'm going to think of myself first, you're conceited. But if your attitude is, I'm going to think of others first, you're humble. Your pride may be the very thing that's keeping you from intimate relationships with people. Whether that's a pride that says, I can't share what's really going on in my life at small group. Whether there's a level of conceit that says, I can't be friends with them because they're not at my level at work or they're not at my level in life. Your pride may be exactly what's keeping you from living in intimate relationships. And Paul says, seek harmony instead of pride. Seek humility instead of conceit. And then the last one. If we're going to love sincerely, we choose right over revenge. There's this phrase that's about to come up as we look at Romans 12, 17 through 20. It says, do not repay evil for evil. And that gets to our heart as people. Because when we are hurt by people that we love, we have a choice to make. Am I going to do what's right or am I going to seek revenge? And this comes down to the idea that some of us think that relationships are all about facts and fairness. And if you think relationships are about facts and fairness, you know what you will pursue? You will pursue revenge. When somebody does you wrong, when somebody hurts you, when somebody mistreats you, when somebody betrays you, because they have factually been wrong, and because you have been hurt by it, you will seek revenge. But if feelings aren't just, if, if relationships aren't just about facts, but they're about feelings, you can choose something altogether different. You can choose to do what's right. Listen to what the Bible says here in Romans 12, 17 through 20. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. That's anyone. That's a broad term. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Healthy boundary here. We can't make everybody happy, but to the best of our ability, that which we are in control of, we're going to do right in the eyes of everyone. We're not responsible for their response. We're responsible for our actions. So as far as it's possible with you, live at peace. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And then he goes on to say, instead of seeking revenge, here's how you do what's right. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So what Paul is saying here is instead of seeking revenge, do what's right. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If they're hungry, give them something to eat. You are going to, by doing this, 
heap burning coals on their head. And there's a word picture here going on. What you're going to clarify is, okay, they're the one that's in the wrong. They're the ones that deserve the judgment. I'm doing what's right. I'm not seeking revenge. I'm leaving room for God to work. The other part of the burning coals on their head is sometimes when you treat somebody right who's treating you wrong, oh, that is fun to watch because they get mad. They get frustrated. They get like, they question, why are you doing this? In fact, in marriage counseling, I will often tell one spouse or the other, respond exactly opposite to how they expect you to respond. If they expect you to get quiet, keep talking. If they expect you to get mad, don't get mad. Become friendlier. If they expect you just to get like, be like a mat where you get walked over, stand up. Have a backbone. Do the exact opposite. Now, this isn't George Costanza theology for Seinfeld fans, right? It's not what I'm saying. But if we do the opposite, our natural, they're hungry, I'm not going to feed them. They're nat- my natural, they're thirsty, I'm not going to give them something to drink. If we do the opposite of what is natural or we choose to do what is right, then we can show them that they are loved by us and I'm loving them because Jesus loves me. So, sincere love, to conclude it up, to wrap it up, sincere love is the love that will bless, not curse, will rejoice and mourn, will have harmony over pride, and will do what's right over revenge. See, in every relationship, when it comes to this being right or living for revenge, remember that you can either be a peacemaker or a fire starter. That's your choice. I would hope that in response to God's word today, that you would set this as your goal in life. I will sacrifice my time. I will sacrifice my money. I will sacrifice all of me so that there will be no doubt that I love God and I love you. I will sacrifice every day so that there is no doubt that I love God and I love you. Romans 12 verse 21, and this is it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Every day I will sacrifice to show my love for God and for you. Nothing will overcome this goodness in me because this is my commitment. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open the Bible and to be challenged. Lord, help us to love each other sincerely. And help us to love you sincerely. God, I pray that as your word has been spoken, that you have spoken. And that you have shown action steps that need to be taken so that we love sincerely. Church family, as you pray, maybe there's just someone you need to pray for that you need to love sincerely. Maybe there's repentance that you need to to do so that you say, God, I have not been loving correctly, so show me how to love right. Show me how to love sincerely. Maybe there's a commitment you need to make. You've allowed division to live in relationships. You need to go seek peace and seek harmony today. As the church prays, if you've never believed in Jesus, God demonstrated his love and that Christ died for you. And he invites you to believe in him and to find life. Believe that you're a sinner who needs a savior and that Jesus is the savior of the world. 
believe that he is the only way to God. But his death, burial, and resurrection, when we believe in him for life, makes us right forever with God. If today's your day to believe, let's mark it with a prayer you can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a savior and you are the savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life. As we continue to pray, if today was your day to believe, let somebody know. Tell that friend that brought you, use a response card in front of you, stop by the information center at your location and pick up a new believer's kit. There's a Bible and some other resources to help you get growing. Let us know what God's up to in your life. Father, as we give you our lives, we also prepare to give you our offering. Help us to give freely and generously a both. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.